I'm Maxwell Griffin, and this is Your Black Friend. And if you don't have a black friend, then my black friend is now your black friend. Your black friend today is Zanelle Mutefaron. Zanelle is a culture and diversity strategist based in Portland, Oregon. I first met Zanelle years back when we worked at the same company. And no joke, I was confident that Zanelle could have been running that whole joint. From day one, I admired her leadership and her overall realness. Not only could I count on her for creating the most impactful campaigns, I also cherished our hours and hours of banter. And of course, our infamous midday tea times. Honored as one of the most influential women by the Portland Business Journal in 2020, Zanelle stops at nothing to build collaborations and strategies to promote diverse communities. She is passionate about equality, liberation, and the elevation of black people, youth, and women. I also can't forget to mention that she's a self-proclaimed cross between Remy Ma and Michelle Obama. So, let's welcome Zanelle. I'm super excited to be here, Max. Like, when you invited me, I thought, okay, look at Max coming on up. (laughs) And we we go back. So we're taking it back to the good old days. Absolutely. I think there are just so many things for us to cover and talk about. So I'm excited to be a guest today, but I'm also excited to follow along and see what other people have to say and the topics that you cover throughout the season. Yeah, 100%. So I just want to check in and take a moment to see how you're doing. How are you feeling? You know, Max, I think that's a loaded question. And I almost feel like it's one of those questions people aren't allowed to ask anymore in a pandemic. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like, don't you get nervous asking me how I'm doing in a pandemic? I get nervous asking people that. That's funny, because even when I ask that question, I'm like, wait, why am I asking this question? I already know the answer. <laughs> like, you know, because you know the you answer. You don't want to be that person that's like, I everything is fantastic. <laughs> I'm doing amazing. <laughs> you know, people ask me that. And I had a mentor ask me that a couple weeks ago. And he was just like, so how are you feeling lately? I said, oh, I'm a roller coaster. He said, what? I said, I'm a roller coaster. Sometimes I'm up. Sometimes I'm down. Sometimes I'm screaming out of excitement. Sometimes I'm screaming because I want to be let off. Okay. I'm tired. I don't want to do this roller coaster of life anymore. Help me. Um, And I think that's probably the reaction of a lot of people. I think 2020 served to be a year of reflection. I would say for me, a year of even appreciation for the things that I have um, because we saw very quickly how things can be taken away from us. And in a pandemic, whether it is um, jobs, um, people being just having the opportunity and the privilege to be around their loved ones, that was taken away from us. And then um, more gravely, we lost lives. We lost lives from um, just the um, COVID-19 in itself, Um, but we also lost a lot of lives um, to injustices, right? And that Mm -hmm. created a moment for people to really think about the things um, that not only matter, but the things that we so need to fight for, right? And, And so it's been a roller coaster, I think, for somebody like me who is a diversity strategist. I don't ever really stop thinking about these things. Um, and so when people ask me how I'm doing, I'm just like, I'm a roller coaster. Please leave me be. I'm happy and I'm sad all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and majority of the time, I'm ready to get off the ride. So, yeah, <laughs> that's how I'm feeling. That analogy is spot on. Let's get into some of these questions. Yeah. All right. So 
Is it offensive when people touch your hair? Hell yes. And this question... <laughs> Why is that? This question always cracks me up um, because I have so many feelings about it and I have so many experiences with it. Um, and it's always just baffling to me because the first thing that comes to mind for me is when do white people ever get asked for their hair to be touched? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? How often do you see a black person going up to a white person being like, oh my God, can I touch your hair? <laughs> never, never. That <laughs> never happens. That never, ever happens. And I've always found it offensive and I think even more so intrusive to just my personal space. Um, But I think culturally, I'm always thinking like, okay, what is it about our hair, one, that is so interesting that you need to run your fingers through it? And then secondly, what makes you think that it is okay to come into my personal space and touch my hair? Because I, I I, almost equate like somebody touching my hair as somebody just like putting their hands on my cheek out of intimacy. And I'm like, boo, if you're not DeAndre Mutefaron, do not <laughs> your hands <laughs> through my hair. Okay, so I always think about that, that like culturally we don't ask white people if we can touch their hair. And so why is it that, you know, they always ask us to touch our hair. Um, and then the second thing that comes to mind to me, um, I got so mad and I'll tell you the story. I, um, you know, I, it, this is audio, so y'all can't see me, but I am in some really cute locks that might or might not be about a month too old to be still in my hair, but that's okay. I love changing my hair. You know, one week it could be, um, some twists, some Marley twists, going down my back it could be some goddess locks which if for people who don't know it's like they look like um locks but then at the end they have like really pretty curly hair at the bottom and um the next minute I could just have curly my curly hair out Mm -hmm. um I could have the best weave on the block like I love to change my hair when I can and I remember when I was working at a particular corporate company that I will not mention because I do not need to have my legal team sued honey um (laughs) But I was working at this company and I had just taken out my braids, I think, on that Friday. So I think my um, teammates and colleagues had seen me in cute braids for like a month or so. And so when I came into work on Monday, um, I had, you know, my my, my curly little unit on. I'm not going to elaborate on what a unit is, but if you know, you know. (laughs) And so it's this cute curly piece with, you know, bangs, super pretty. Um, and I had actually just gotten out of one of our, our entertaining meetings, Max, is what I'll call it for the (laughs) sake of not getting sued. Go on. (laughs) So you can imagine I was already in a bad mood after one of those meetings (laughs) and I walked into the bathroom and, you know, was washing my hands. As I was on my way out, this white woman walks in to the bathroom and um, I literally, you know, when you get scared, somebody opens the door and you almost bump into each other. So you're like, oh, sorry, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. And then you kind of start playing like chicken like they do. You're going this way, they're going yep. that way. Oh, sorry. So I did that. And for me, I'm thinking we're playing chicken because I need to get out of the way. But she's playing chicken with me with her hands out to touch my hair. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, sorry. Like, what are you doing? And then she goes, I kid you not. I kid you not. She reaches both of her hands out 
Oh. Both. Not one. Both. <laughs> this is aggressive already. And wraps her hands around my hair on both sides like pigtails and lifts my hair and goes, you just had braids. Is this real? Oh. <laughs> Honestly, PTSD I hear, is a I already thing. hear. I already hear a lot of gasps out there. Sweetie, I really had to think because I always tell people I'm a cross between Remy Ma and Michelle Obama. And the Remy Ma and me, baby, was coming out. Like I was ready. And I had to, and we can talk about code switching later because this was the embodiment of code switching. Like I really had to breathe. And I think I believe like I just tapped her shoulder and just said, uh, move back. And I said, please do not touch my hair. You know, and I said, you're in my personal space and I understand I've been friendly with you. We're colleagues, but that's it. It is not comfortable for you to mm-hmm. come into my personal space and lift my hair. And again, for those who know what a unit is, you don't lift a unit. OK, you do not lift somebody's hair. OK, she could have in a second, she could have seen that joint on the floor and then we would have been having a different conversation. OK. <laughs> And so I, you know, I just, I was so traumatized that day and I, I walked out and um, I won't say who, but it was back in the day, like our boss's boss, to mm-hmm. put that in perspective, when she was still there, I walked out and you can tell I was about to cry and she was walking in and she saw me um, and it was probably one of the nicest things that she's ever done. She grabbed my hand and like walked to that um rooftop with me and I explained to her what had just happened but I remember that moment so vividly and thinking you know all the things that I said earlier about that if I was white that would have never happened like you you'd have never felt that comfortable coming to touch my hair um it our hair is not some piece of art on display and even then sweetie museums what does it say do not touch do not touch the (laughs) art okay and Yet, for whatever reason, there's this level of comfortability, um, intense curiosity, and utter disrespect for Black people and our hair that people are so excited and almost feel the right that they can touch it. And so I've just always hated that. And I think, you know, I have so much respect and love for one of my best friends ever. She's a white girl from Beaverton, and we've been friends for, I believe eight years now, um, and she has never touched my hair. She's never touched my hair unprovoked. Like, if I've ever asked her, you know, hey, girl, I got something stuck in here, that's when she touched my hair. But, you know, she's never done that. And so when strangers feel the right to do that, I've, I've always found it so disrespectful. Um, so anyway, I remember being livid that day and texting my girlfriends, shout out Nagazi, Victoria, and Buku, because they were holding me down while I was there. Um, and they were so proud of how I handled the situation, but I just kept yelling, I am not your pet. Please do not touch my hair. You know, like do not come up and Mm -hmm. pet me. Um, and so that, those are some of the things that I've experienced with touching hair and the feelings that I got out of it. And I certainly hope for people who are listening, you are able to kind of put those few things in mind of like, nobody asks to touch your hair rarely ever. So why are you asking to touch a black person's hair? the feeling of almost like thinking that you are kind of treating us like your pet, that you can just pet us when you think we're so cute or our hair is so cute. 
And then the last thing I'll say is if there is anything that this pandemic has enforced that I'm excited about is personal freaking space, honey. It is not sanitary to be reaching your little (laughs) paws. If they don't get anything else from this. Listen, (laughs) six feet. Do not touch my hair. (laughs) And that is the one thing, honey, that I am so excited about. Well, there's a few things, but that was at the top of my list. Like, thank God for this pandemic, because I swear to goodness, if somebody tries to get close to me now, I can be like, "Uh -uh -uh uh-uh, it's a pandemic back up do not touch my hair (laughs) what if someone's like you know but what if like is it okay if i ask before i touch or is it one of those things where it's like you know just keep your thoughts and your hands to yourself at all times exactly i would say it's the latter and really Mm -hmm. for anyone out there that like first of all if you have done this and you're mortified thank you for being mortified because clearly you're starting to get it um and then secondly just ask yourself why do I want to touch her hair? Why? Or his hair. My husband has long dreads down his back. And I can't tell you how often we're walking in public and people are like, oh my gosh, you're here. And I have to like put my hands on his chest. Like, back up. Back up. He's mm-hmm. not He's not on display, you know. But just ask yourself, why do I want to touch their hair? Is it... Is it so hard to just say, I love your hair and to admire from afar? It's not, especially if you're listening right now and you're taking into consideration just how traumatic that is for us and how for days we keep thinking about why did that person feel that they could do that to me? So while knowing that, just ask yourself, do I really need to put that person through that type of trauma? And the answer is no. So compliment us and admire us from afar um, that always goes a long way. So what are the ways white people can celebrate and appreciate black culture and what should be avoided? Oh, this is a good one. I, I think, you know, people are probably tired of hearing this. And if they are, take a shot of caffeine, honey, because we're not going to stop saying it. Um, (laughs) educate. I think education right now is one of the most fundamental ways that you can celebrate black culture because a lot of people don't know it. You do not know the true, authentic, raw um, riches of black culture because I think people, first of all, have to undo the stereotypes that were fed into them for so long. Mm -hmm. And the only way that you can do that is by educating yourself on the things that are true educating yourself on the real history of, of black culture and black communities, um, the complexity of black culture, the complexity and the beauty in black culture. I think the only way that you can truly learn how to then celebrate it is that you have to educate yourself. And there are books, the books that are written by black people, documentaries that are created by black people, um, you know, music that is, you know, orchestrated and produced by black people and specifically in celebration of black culture. Those are the things that people should really be um, diving into and wrapping themselves into uh, before they can even do anything outwardly or, or put anything in action around celebrating black culture. And the other thing, and I know I said this in the beginning of the podcast, I specifically mentioned my 
my clients who I'm proud that they are putting action first over words. And for me, one of the ways that you celebrate Black culture and communities is investing in them. One of the things that we know, um, especially in the United States, and we can even talk about Africa too. Africa, we talk about colonization and segregation. Mm -hmm. And then in the United States, we talk about slavery and segregation and, you know, just all of the systemic things that have been put in place to oppress the Black people. And so with that, it has stripped us of so many opportunities. It has stripped us of wealth. Um, And so... I always tell people, it's like, you're not celebrating by just like, you know, putting a tweet out and a poster. You celebrate us by going into our communities and investing in us. You're celebrating us by buying our product, by, you know, sending your family to buy Tuesday dinner from a black owned um, restaurant and maybe for for the rest of the week or make it a part of your complete routine and cycle. You invest in us by ensuring that the scholarships, there are a lot of um, philanthropists that I work with that are, you know, older rich white men to be honest that are constantly like the ones that really do care right and they are out there that do care mm-hmm. that are like see what do I do like I'm thinking about doing this and I'm thinking about doing this and I'm always like invest in our education create scholarships for black people um you know to get higher education um invest in even payback loans so for instance like the student loans right now I believe they said um black women have like the you know highest rate of loans because within the black community um black women are the the highest educated so we go through you know, our BAs and BSs and then go into masters and then get PhDs, et cetera. And so then we accrued the most um, student loans. And so go back and say, okay, I'm going to put together an endowment that pays off student loans for, for black women. Um, all of this to say that clearly, you know, the theme here is what are you going to do to ensure that you are not only giving back, but you are investing in the prosperity of black people um, to ensure that we not only survive, but that we thrive. And that is the way that people can celebrate us, can acknowledge the contributions that our culture and our community um, has given to this country um, is by ensuring that we can continue to be in these positions of mm-hmm. opportunity um, and success. And then the last one that I would just say is that um, diversify the community um, of family and friends that you surround yourself in. You know, the more you do that, the more diverse ways you find of how to celebrate Black culture. You can't know what is the most authentic way to celebrate Black culture communities until you are around them. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yep. Um, there's nothing that irritates me more than people be like, I was I was just at home um, reading my book, you know, and, you know, we've been ordering from this restaurant. Like, that's what we've been doing. And then I'm like, who are your black friends and who are your black community, black business partners? You know, like, who are, who are they? Like, name them. And I, I promise I'm not as that aggressive asking people to name them. But <laughs> those are things that I am wondering for people who say that they do appreciate black culture and they do appreciate the black community. I I just ask them, okay, then who, through what network of yours, you know, through Mm -hmm. what community of friends. And so those are the three things that I would say is just educate, invest, um, and diversify the community of friends and family that you keep around you in order for you to truly understand Mm -hmm. how to celebrate us. Yeah. And I'm with you. I've, the investment piece specifically, I mean, I'm loving what 
companies are doing to to step up and and really be proactive about this Um, but at the same time it's it's one of those things where it's like I'm loving this investment piece but like let's go beyond the five-year plan the 10-year plan I mean this should be indefinite I mean it's it's because it's it's to the point where it's almost like I mean we're done being taken from and getting nothing in return because you have so many so many companies I mean marketing and and promoting and marketing to the black communities and most of and some of these companies most of their and entertainment and athletic influencers are black and this and that and marketing black people celebrating black culture but then it's like okay well. If if this is a an indefinite plan for your business model, then in turn, like, give back, and that should be an indefinite part of your business model as well. Absolutely, um, our purchase power um, as um, Black people is a trillion dollars, and it's obvious that people know that they understand that. Otherwise, businesses wouldn't be trying to sell to us and. I always try to explain to my clients that we're not only the ones that are buying this shit, but we're also the ones that are that, that are making it cool, that are making it look fun, that are making it look like it is the thing to do, it is the thing to own, it's the thing to have. And so then we are also trend-setting consumers as well. And so when you have those two things where we're not only the ones that are buying into these products, but we're also the ones that are making them look cool for everybody else, surely... Surely enough, the least that companies can do is turn around and invest back into our communities. And it'll be one thing if we all started on the same playing field, Mm -hmm. because you just think, oh, okay, well, it's good marketing. They're able to just know who their consumer is. But we didn't start all on the same playing field. Um, And so with that being said, then companies have to ask themselves, what role do I play in being the change for the future? What role do I play in building a new equal playing field um, in order for all of this to actually be fair and equal? Uh, and so I've I've always admired those companies who, who are willing to invest back. And to your point, who aren't just thinking about the one-year plan or the two-year plan, even 10-year. I saw some companies out there talking about $100 million mm-hmm. over 10 years. And I'm like, okay, look at y'all got your financial planning right. Somebody was back there crunching numbers. And if you know business, you know how that works. I'm not minimizing the effort, but I'm also have an expectation that there's a little bit more that's indefinite to your point that Mm -hmm. people can commit to. And those are the types of commitments that we need in order for us to start seeing real change. Exactly. Because, I mean, you're going to get to that 10 year anniversary and then the next day it's like, OK, well, what what are we doing now? What are what are you doing now? Uh, and no disrespect or shade. My question is actually if we get to that 10 year mark. Right. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't want to be um, the bearer of bad news, you know, or a cynic, but. You know, last year, and especially for somebody who's in my role, when the pandemic hit, I heard that there were there was research that was done that had um, 60% of the job postings and or open roles for diversity, equity, inclusion strategies, VP of diversity, diversity managers were gone. They were eliminated. Damn. And people thought, okay, when we need to tighten our budgets, when we need to tighten things up around our company... We have to get rid of certain roles. Well, the diversity roles were the first to go. 
And then within a month or two, everything that happened with Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, our country and world was on fire. All of a sudden, some of those roles came back, but only 30% of them did. Like, it looked like everybody and their mom was hiring a DEI person. (laughs) Yeah. But I promise you, it was only about 30% that came back, right? Maybe it was new people who came in, but 30% of those roles that had disappeared came back. And so I just always often wonder, like, okay, people are setting the mark for 10 years that they're going to disperse this $100 million into Black communities. But is that for real? Because what, not just pandemic, but what crisis will happen to this organization that will make them rethink that strategy and take it away. Yeah, that's I, I I chuckled there because I just can't help but thinking like if my wife goes and tells me, hey, can you go and pick up some eggs real quick from the store? And I, I go get the eggs and I'm on my way back and then I drop that joint and then six of the eggs break. And then I'm like, well, I still bought you. Here's the <laughs> six that are still intact. Can, this is good. She's like, well, but weren't there 12 I in that joint? For 12. <laughs> yeah. I asked you for 12. <laughs> I don't care what happened. Figure it out. And that yeah. is exactly true. Like, I like that analogy. Like, that is exactly true. It's like, it, it doesn't matter, you know, what you promised. It's what you brought, you know, and it's what mm-hmm. you delivered. And so I do have hopes. And I think my clients are uh, an indication of that hope because they do listen and say, okay, well, this is what we can do. And this is what we're going to continue to do. Um, and then I just hope that that remains true across the board. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Indefinite. That's the that's the word. Let's just make that Indefinite. investment last forever. Shoot. Yeah. Um, I always tell my clients in almost every statement. And if you ever want to know, if you ever see this come out, you'd be like, oh, that's one of Zanel's um, <laughs> clients. But um, I always say the term... Um, it should be a goal to embed inclusion and equity into the DNA of the company culture, threaded into the fabric of the company's values. That way we never go a day missing it. Mm-hmm. Love that. You know, um, that is the difference between an activation and something that's a true part of a company. And if your goal, if you think about it, like if you try to view it like DNA You can't shake that shit. You know what I'm saying? If it's a part of you, you can't shake it. And so how do we all challenge ourselves to get to positions where we're legit embedding equality in everything that we do across the board, that every single part of the business, the organization, the government, our policies, that equality is at the forefront of the things that we're doing. Um, And there isn't a program in place that has not been assessed but then also executed through an equity lens that's when we'll actually start seeing true change and progress now zanelle we go way back and i (laughs) and we sat together in the office corporate life i would roll over to your desk and then even though i saw you're busy i was like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna holler at zanelle real quick so i just just start some banter (laughs) so i want to i want to take it back a little bit and then then we can have a little tea time you know oh my gosh not (laughs) i'm feeling i'm feeling parched zanelle (laughs) (laughs) don't you don't test me honey because you know my teapot stay boiling okay what is 
going on in your world today? Just let's let's talk. Let's hear about it. Yeah. What's, so, what's going on? I mean, there's a lot going on in my world. And, you know, um, I right now have been so, so excited to see um, just a lot of different companies, you know, all of a sudden having a lot to say about, you know, <laughs> equality. Um, first of all, shout out to all of my clients because my clients are really showing up with action. Some of y'all got me on an NDA, so I can't say who you are, <laughs> but I am so proud of them because a lot of them are asking themselves those tough questions of like, what do I need to do, not say, you know? And so that mm-hmm. action piece has me, you know, really excited, but sweetheart, there are other companies out there, not on Brands and <laughs> Portfolio, that I'm just scrolling through. I'm going, mm, mm-hmm, I'll see you in a year. I'll see what y'all doing in a year. Or better yet, I'll see you in about a month and a half and see if you're still living up to what you're saying. Hey, well, you better believe that after this episode, you're about to get hit up by all kinds of people. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> and so the T for me is like really just observing and seeing like what y'all talking about. Um, and it's beyond companies, it's communities, it's our friends. Um, and you know what? I always say, you know, it's okay, you're here now. So like, what are we going to do about it? So that has been really fun for me. Um, personally speaking, I told you I'm trying to buy a house, honey. And I think we should kick that off. Like, I want to talk to you about black people trying to buy homes in any neighborhood and not thinking twice. Okay. Yep. And for me right now, um, I have a mentor of mine who I love so much. And he um, texted me a couple months ago and he found out he I was buying a home and he was like, you should move to Lake Oswego. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, say what now? And he said, you should <laughs> move to Lake Oswego. Now, for those listeners right now who are wondering where Lake Oswego is, it's in Oregon. And I just dare you to look up what that means for Black Oregonians wanting to move to Lake Oswego at any given point. Um, and just, I for, lo- just for context, I feel like I heard a rumor one day that Lady Gaga was considering a move or buying a house in Lake Oswego. Are you serious? I never knew that. I mean, I, it's a rumor. I don't know. I'm trying to get the listeners some context on what this what this joint looks like. I'll tell you one thing is that I did find out that when Drake came in to um, record that video that he did on Nike's headquarters, he hit the house that he rented was in Lake Oswego. And so if you're listening, you can kind of get, there's a pattern here. There's a pattern here, Lady Gaga, Drake, you know, so you can imagine, you know, what kind of neighborhood it is. Um, um, And it is beautiful, but it just has a history of um, not only, you know, not being as accepting of black people, but then um, also they had policies like real life policies and laws um, back in the day that, you know, black people could not buy land there, which we know is the case for a lot of, you know, um, you know, places in the United States. But, you know, I personally was cracking up because I am not, there are people I love that live in Lake Oswego. There are a lot of families that have not only done a lot for my family and friends, um, but have just been a part of our community that live in Lake Oswego. But when my mentor texted me that, I was cracking up and uh, my husband goes, are you worried? Like, would you be scared to live in Lake Oswego? I said, scared? I'm not scared of living in a neighborhood. I'll tell you one thing though. 
I'm the type to move in on a Tuesday and on Wednesday pop up at the sheriff's office and be like, hey, y'all, just wanted to let y'all know I'm Zanelle Mateferon. We bought a house. <laughs> I'm, I'm the new resident. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we bought a house around the corner, y'all. My husband is six foot three, big guy with dreads. This is the kind of car that we drive and we're all good. Okay. And he cracked up and I was like, so I just think that it's unique that these are the conversations that... Um, black families have to discuss and kind of figure out when they're considering to buy a home, how will they feel like they belong in that neighborhood? What is the history of that neighborhood? What are the neighbors like, honey? Can we swag surf in the middle of August outside and nobody calls the police? Like those are the things that we're trying to ask ourselves. But anyway, so we're up to that right now. And it's just been a delight getting the opportunity to even be in a position to buy a home. But the fun conversations that we're having and the things that we're considering um, are definitely something to continue talking about. Yep. And uh, this is, and I know we had a little banter about this, but I mean, you look in areas in the woods, straight in the cuts. <laughs> so, and, and I know there's things you got to think about out there too. We, we all seen the movies. I know, I know. And <laughs> Dre is the type. So when we, gone to different homes he's like opening the door checking the locks checking them again and i'm like what are you doing and he's just like listen you're looking at homes in the middle of the woods sweetheart i need to make sure every entry point is secured okay um we did not want another episode or another version of get out and i'm like oh my <laughs> gosh please close the damn door like we will be fine um but yeah those are like some of the things that we're thinking about right now and I know that like specifically for our home, um, we want a home that, you know, our community can be a part of that things like this, like this incredible podcast. Um, we want to build a studio in our home that allows people to be able to come in and record their, their podcasts. Um, if you're a musician, you can record, you know, a track or record your album at our house. Um, and those are the things that we care about. We care about the prosperity and creativity of our people. Um, and we want that to show up in the kind of home that we buy. So we don't want to be in the middle of the woods for nothing. We obviously want to be in a place that has enough space for us to continue building um, so our community can be a part of it. Love that. Realtors, if you're out there, please accept this woman's <laughs> offer on your house, and then we will call it a day. I feel this. So how is it with your house? I know that's not the topic of the podcast, but I am curious because you're selling your house right now. Yeah, we're selling our house, and I, I mean, we're moving to Minnesota, and it's a, it's a, it's different. It's a different area than we're currently in and it's funny it's it's funny you you look at me like that because i'm like please elaborate for the listeners (laughs) max what do you mean it's different i think it's funny because so when we were in minnesota uh, over the summer we would go to predominantly i mean white communities and my wife is white and it's like we were running and i go I mean, I love running and I run in these areas that are predominantly white. So I I can't help to think that every time I'm in these neighborhoods, they see a black guy running around. Like for me, it just feels like I get, I get a sense of thinking, is this different? Who yeah, is this? who is this man? We don't see him around. <laughs> so it's just like those are the things that that we think about when we're searching for a house where it's like, what areas are we moving to? Like and. 
and there's things in place like the Fair Housing Act that even since then there's been segregation that has naturally happened for X, Y, and Z reasons. So you can't help but think, why is this? And why am I running through this neighborhood that's mostly white people now? Or then 10 minutes down the road, then you're running to this neighborhood that's mostly black people. So it's just interesting. And it's just interesting to think about when we're looking for a house. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, like the, you know, redlining back in the day with the banks where they mapped out what are the good neighborhoods and what are the bad neighborhoods? And of course, you know, seeing that they, you know, basically labeled the bad neighborhoods where all the black people lived. And so for, for years, um, black people would just not be able to, um, really get loans in the neighborhoods that maybe they would have wanted to be a part of, but even Mm -hmm. more so didn't get the opportunity to build that much equity, um, in their own neighborhoods. And so for years, um, you know, a lot of black people have lived within their communities that investors are shying away from without actually gentrifying it. Um, people did not want to go in and live in them. And so that then impacts the way that, um, property taxes are. And if it impacts the property taxes, it then impacted, um, the school system. Right. And so it's kind of like this, um, I always say it's like a tumbleweed effect where one thing leads to another that affects the other um, and really and truly does impact what we believe to be modern day segregation. And Mm -hmm. I will never forget that, you know, when I go to the South, it's the segregation piece is very vivid to me. And again, I'm not saying that it's not in Portland, but what you're talking about of literally being in one neighborhood and seeing the, you know, perfectly cut grass, the streets are cleaned up, like all of these things. And it's all white and there, there are no black people in sight. And you drive three minutes later and not even three minutes, you could walk three minutes, drive five minutes, whether you're going across a bridge or you're just going to um, a different part of the street, all of a sudden it's like a completely different place. And you can tell that not only has, you know, the city you know, and or state neglected some of our neighborhoods where we see ourselves, but it's evident that there are systemic um, policies in place that have prohibited people to be able to mix their neighborhoods, right? And given the opportunity for people like us to go into some of those neighborhoods. Um, and even more so, I'm listening to myself right now and the story that I told earlier about Lake Oswego, I would have to admit that's one of the main reasons why I considered living in Lake Oswego because I wanted to defy that stereotype that black people don't live here. And I thought to myself, if I can afford it, if I already have family and friends that live there, like Zanel, make the move there and make it a natural thing and a constant thing that black people can feel comfortable, can feel like they see themselves in these neighborhoods because it has to start somewhere. But that systemic, I would say, segregation that we've had of being afraid of what would happen to us, like what you're saying, what's going to happen to me if I'm running through this neighborhood? Who are the people that are going to be questioning my belonging here? Um, You know, are they going to think I'm somebody else? Are they going to think I'm, you know, being intrusive of their home? Like there's so many things that run through your mind that you then think, I don't want to live like that. And it's like, where does it stop? But I think it's a, it's a system and people thing. And I would say, 
that systems weren't built out of thin air. They were built by people. And people must be willing to change and people must be willing to do something different in order to, for those systems to be dismantled. Um, and I hold myself responsible for that. Um, I hold people who don't look like me, who are in higher powers, I hold them responsible as well. But I ask myself on a daily basis, like, okay, then how are you going to show up now? Like, what are, you know, what is the narrative that you're going to continue propelling for other people to listen to and other people to understand? Because we too hold our own power and we too hold our own abilities and opportunities to create change far more than, you know, our ancestors did, right? And for me personally, that term ancestors um, is, I internalize it and also um, define it maybe a little bit differently from my friends that um, were born in the United States because I'm Zimbabwean. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my ancestors are, you know, uh, they're, you know, they're Zimbabwean, but then also I believe part Zulu um, that originated from Debele. That's a lot. Aunt Zanel, I have an Aunt Zanel, if you're listening to this, and I jacked that up, my bad. But <laughs> I am almost certain that that is the case. But, you know, my whole family is from Zimbabwe and thinking of being an African in this country while my early age perception of what it means to be black in this country might be a bit different as I grow it continues to form to be like the rest of my friends because um people don't see like oh Zanelle is an African they see a black woman in the United mm -hmm. States um black women applying for these dope you know um opportunities as a consultant proposals a black woman who is you know um building her family in Portland, which is one of the widest metropolitan cities in the United States. Like they see a black woman, they don't think about me being African. And so quickly I had to be like, okay, I need to understand the history of black people in this country um, because I'm going to be treated that way. Um, and there's no room of um, not understanding or not knowing. There's no room for oblivion and ignorance. And so quickly I was, I basically armored myself with that education to be able to understand and continue to do so. But with that being said, with that education, I'm constantly asking myself, then what role do you play Z, you know, in creating change? And what role do you play in making sure that you're bringing communities together and that we are putting in our, in, um, ourselves in a position to organize and strategize um, all of the different things that we can do to get our people ahead. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a fantastic tea time. Again, this take me back. Shoot. <laughs> we, we, and then it'll be like two hours later. Oh, yeah, we, we got to work. Yeah. <laughs> I started thinking about how you would literally look at me and then you would start moving your chair backwards with the wheels going skirt, 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 skirt. And I'm like, oh, here comes Matt. Coming over here. I think about our tea and then I also think about my last minute request for dope videos. I'm like, yep. come on, Max, you have it in you. Hurry. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I miss those days. Uh, cer certain part of those days. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, be very, very I, I miss careful. our, I miss our tea time. You know. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, that, that'll like, be a whole nother episode. Speak the truth. That, that'll be shame a whole the devil. episode. Uh, but thank you for this tea time. You know, I like to leave conversations and meetings with takeaways, and I, I, I'm a firm believer that if you leave 
any conversation without a takeaway, then it's just like, what did you really learn today? So it never happened. <laughs> so what are some things the listeners can take away from this conversation? I mean, it, once they hit stop on this podcast, what can they bring into the world starting today, starting this minute, if they're really uh, wanting to bring change and, and uh, solutions? Um, I think that if there's, there are a couple of takeaways. And I think the first one that I just want to remind people is that it starts with you. It truly does. And you yourself, you hold a level of power and responsibility in seeing true change. Um, I always try to remind people that you're not too small. You, you know, you do belong in this conversation. You do have the, the ability to make a difference. And we so often think that to create a difference, you got to, you know, ha- have this huge gesture and be a part of this huge program, or you got to show up to the protest every single day, or you got to, you know, argue with your grandpa at the dinner table, which maybe you should, but, um, <laughs> People often feel like they're too small to create big change. And I just want to encourage the people that are listening um, and remind them that that couldn't be further from the truth. Because every single decision you make, every single conversation you have, and every single behavior that you put out, whether it's the way you treat people or who you are hiring or the way that you are questioning people that you are hiring that are different from you, Every single piece of action has a consequence. And so therefore, it has the ability to make a difference. And so that difference starts with you. And so that is, I would say, is one of the the most important takeaways that somebody can take from this conversation. And then the second thing that I would say is educate yourself and educate yourself um, through credible sources. Make sure the people that you're listening to, that you're speaking to, the books that you're reading are credible. Um, And especially when you're thinking about um, Black culture and Black communities, I think that there is a fine line between appreciation and appropriation. Um, You know, appropriation is really when people are taking from the community and taking from the culture um, and then pretending to actually enjoy it by mocking it or pretending to enjoy it by saying like, hey, look at me, like I'm, you know, eating fried chicken or look at me, I got beads in my hair and that's the way that I'm appreciating the culture. And it's like, no, you appreciate the culture by investing in it. You appreciate the culture by giving back to it. You appreciate the culture by allowing yourself to be better educated in it. And so that would be the second thing is that everything else starts with you, but it starts by also um, ensuring that you have the best education and the most credible education when it comes to celebrating Black communities and Black culture. That is beautiful. And I 100% agree. And I'll just say real quick, I was on, uh, we're talking about appropriation uh, versus appreciation. I was on, we, we need a new dog collar for my, for my, for our dog. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, let me, let me look for some black owned, uh, black owned businesses that, that uh, produce dope dog collars. Um, and I was looking on there, all type of, uh, of collars with that African batik fabric and this and that. And I was like, ooh, this is dope. We're going to get this. And then just kind of like, I'm curious, though. Like, is this, are these black people making these? Right. And then, and then I click on the thing, all white people. All white people making all of all of these dog collars. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Uh-huh. And you know what? 
2020 really showed out that way. Like there were a lot of different businesses that were created by white people that were pushing, you know, um, celebrate black culture, black lives matter, like all of these different things and white people, the ones creating them. You know, and so if we're not doing our due diligence to learn, like I said, educate ourselves and to do the research, like what you did, Max, um, we fall into that. You know, we as a people, I'm saying in general, all humans fall into that. So it's so critical to really do your research and, and take the time to educate yourself. That way you are authentically celebrating um, and supporting the black community and culture as well. Well, Zanelle, it has been an absolute pleasure. This takes me back to <laughs> our, the good old days again of us just chatting, our classic tea times. And too, again, Matt. this is, I, as with all of our conversations, I continue to learn more just about you, about, about the world. So I appreciate that. And, and you are very inspirational. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Max. I am so, so proud to call you a friend and I can't wait to support your podcast throughout the season um, and the next ones to come. Absolutely. And before we go, be sure to check out uh, Brand Zanelle and, and see what she does with Here to Stay and all, all of this good stuff. There's so much more that she's doing and continues to do. So thank you so much, Zanelle. Thank you, Max. Take care. I'm your host, Maxwell Griffin. Our development producer is Priscilla Alibi. Our producer is Teddy Grant. Please join us next time. <laughs>